0: Yeah, as workplace chaplains, uh, we have found that difficulty in life really is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter where somebody lives or what their last name is or how much money they make. The question is, when stuff happens in life, and it's not a matter of if, but when it happened to any of us, the key question is, do we have resources in place that can provide, us, provide assistance in times of difficulty? We have been told from company leaders have been reduced. So, company turnover reduced, healthcare costs um, increased, performance, and ultimately, improved bottom line, because you are you are helping to stabilize the employee base. So, there is one industry that has had an outsized role in shaping the entire um, workplace chaplaincy industry, corporate chaplaincy, and that's actually the poultry industry yeah our largest company that I referred to with about 30,000 employees um, under marketplace that's in the poultry industry largest company under Capital chaplains by far was in the poultry industry um
1: well I am so delighted to have a long-term friend with me today Steve Cook Steve we've known each other for uh, several decades I don't know the exact at you... least. yeah but you're one, my, think, yeah. Yeah, wow, you're one of my yeah yeah 25 years while you're one of my longest term Madison based friends. Uh, we both live in Middleton, which is a, a town that abuts Madison, um, and we've worked together uh, in uh, previously at University Christian Fellowship and stayed friends over many years. Steve is the director of, of regional operations for Marketplace Chaplains, and I am so excited to have a conversation with you, Steve, about chaplaincy, corporate chaplaincy. I know so many have heard about chaplaincy. Uh, I think when we think about chaplaincy, we often think about hospital chaplaincy. Maybe that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, But the field is so much more diverse. Um, And you've been in this corporate chaplaincy field for a long time, and I'm just excited to have this conversation with
0: you. It's great to be here, John. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, Steve, let's explore your vocational journey. Um, How did you get interested in corporate chaplaincy?
0: What led you to the role that you play now? Yeah, great question, John. And actually, before we go there, I just want to give a a quick shout out to you, to Stephen Laurel Brown Foundation, Upper House staff, for just an amazing work that you all are doing. It is nothing short of miraculous uh, to see what has transpired in the Madison area through the Upper House and through the Stephen Laurel Brown Foundation. I mean, I, I distinctly remember, what was it, seven, eight years ago? I mean, I can't believe that they hired you back to Madison and that you accepted and you came and then you are one of the hardest working people I know you know your family wasn't with you and I think you worked night and day for those first six, seven, eight weeks getting the upper house literally helping with the build out working with the board and and the Browns on on programming all of that and um, that it is just amazing to see what has transpired so thank you for all of your hard work thank you for your faithfulness and again everybody involved in the foundation and the upper house it's been great to see joy and i remember in those early days
1: where I, I literally i was living in the building and we were there were contractors in trying to finish out the space and steve uh was kind enough to 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 do an extraction i remember he he said okay i'm coming i'm going to be there at 11 30 and i'm good we're going to go to lunch we're leaving the site I don't know if you have a way to lock the doors, but we're going to leave anyways and I'm going to take you out for two hours and um, you just need a break. And that was such a a gift of friendship and I really, really appreciate it. I tell that story all the time. It was really one of the kindest things anybody could do because it really was in those early days, almost 24-7. And actually, Steve, this is such an important conversation around corporate chaplaincy because we're in a programming calendar where we're exploring the theme here at Upper House of what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And we're going to get there and I'm going to ask you to reflect on on this a little bit. But the whole idea of corporate chaplaincy to me seems like one of the really tangible ways that we can express neighborliness in the workplace. So I want you to hold that thought but for a while until we get there. But thank you for being a good friend and a good neighbor and extracting me for a while doing yeah, intervention and getting me out in those early days when we were uh just working around the clock absolutely so, <laughs> so Steve uh back to your vocational journey uh, tell us a little bit tell me a little bit about um your journey into corporate chaplaincy
0: you bet so as I think about the last really 40 years I think of it in two halves the first sort of 20 to 25 years or so uh, were p- various pieces of the puzzle that were essentially preparation for the second 20 years, and that is the preparation for workplace chaplaincy. So, those initial pieces of the puzzle include an undergraduate degree in business administration and management from Indiana University, uh, attending seminary and taking graduate courses at Regent College, uh, in the marketplace ministry concentration, and of course, Regent is in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Then um, a key piece to the preparation for workplace chaplaincy, I believe, was serving for 15 years with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, the National Service Center in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, This, of course, included a time of extensive team building and, and leadership development, theological training, as well as a partnership with InterVarsity's, what was called at the time Marketplace Ministries, You'll remember, of course, um, under the leadership of Pete Hammond, who was a, a close mentor to you as well. Uh, those were formative years, so many opportunities for training and equipping. Then on the caregiving side, um, I served, was privileged to serve for 10 years as executive pastor of High Point Church, uh, located in Madison. It's a, a larger evangelical church. And there, the training and equipping continued, specifically in the area of what it means to be a pastor. So a lot of those skills and abilities are transferable into workplace chaplaincy, but there are differences. And I'll mention that, I think, a little bit later. So all of that then, by way of preparation, allowed me to have a sort of a ringside seat into what was happening in the broader workplace chaplaincy movement, if you will. And I noticed this this sort of sub-movement called workplace or corporate chaplaincy, and that sort of got my attention, and I, I believe so God's leading, um, he helped me establish uh, a company. I set it up as a, a limited liability corporation, and I called it Capital Chaplains. This was in the year 2005. So Capital Chaplains was this region, that's the south-central portion of Wisconsin, uh, the first workplace chaplaincy initiative, and had the privilege of running that for about 15 years. And then I'll tell you what that morphed into. So uh, that was the first official sort of launch into workplace chaplaincy was the starting of Capital Chaplains and um, was privileged to serve a number of companies over those 15 years, was able to go full-time myself after about two or three years of, of launching it. And then uh, uh, was also able to subcontract then and hire Uh, at any given time, seven or eight chaplains to help with the the service delivery and with the ministry opportunities. Almost immediately after I launched uh, Capital Chaplains, I started getting calls from people around the country saying, well, are you going to bring Capital Chaplains to our town or our state? And um, the vision was always to be very relevant in our part of the country, not to become national under Capital Chaplains. So I would spend quite a bit of time with these folks. I would send them you know, back office documents and resources, et cetera. So finally in 2010, decided to sort of get a, a little bit more organized and formed Corporate Chaplaincy Consulting. It wasn't a separate legal entity, it was under Capital Chaplains, but through that initiative, Corporate Chaplaincy Consulting, I was able to come alongside and was privileged to serve about 100 paid clients uh, around the country for about seven or, seven or eight years, um, until I decided to to put that initiative on on mass balls, at least for a while. So then, um, because workplace chaplaincy is still a relatively new area of service and ministry, there's no association that serves the various agencies around the country. Um, in 2015, uh, I s- set up a nonprofit corporation called the Workplace Chaplaincy Foundation Inc., and this foundation's um, core purpose is to raise money to help resource and undergird the larger workplace chaplaincy or corporate chaplaincy movement. Right. So, um, this foundation, it's its still running, still small. Um, it's a volunteer effort on the part of myself and the other board members, but we uh, encourage other agencies to get together. We do training, equipping, we do some research, things like that that's, uh, that serve the broader movement.
1: Yeah, and Steve, you've even taken some of that training overseas, right, as I recall. Uh, Correct. Foundation, yeah.
0: There's some of that, and then um, also through the consulting as well, uh, with, was privileged to work with some uh, some partners um, outside the United States, which was a great privilege. Yeah, and then um, just one more one more sort of initiative that, that'll uh, bring us to the present day, uh, John, and that is that in about 2017, I was privileged to work with a group of other chaplaincy leaders, chaplaincy uh, agency leaders, to form just an informal fellowship group. It's not incorporated. It's not organized. It's an informal fellowship group called the Chaplain Leaders Group. And it's a fellowship of workplace chaplaincy leaders from around the country. And we get together twice a year, once in person, once virtually, just to encourage one another, share best practices, that kind of thing. So then, getting back to the story of Capital Chaplain, um, about four or five years ago, about half of our clients had uh, plants or offices outside of our service territory. So I had to solve the staffing challenge, uh, if we were to continue to serve those, those good companies. So I engaged the then, uh, CEO and president of Marketplace Chaplains, which is a nationwide uh, workplace chaplaincy provider. It's a gentleman by the name of Doug Fagerstrom, and my question to him was, would he be willing to share staff, in you know, other parts of the country, which is kind of unusual request, given that we were essentially direct competitors. But because of the nature of the work that we're in and the caliber of of Doug um, and the other agency leaders, he said, "Uh, sure, we can talk about sharing staff. However, it became very evident early on in the conversation that the best thing to do was simply to merge capital chaplains into marketplace, which is what we did. Uh, And um, I became executive director of operations for Wisconsin. Uh, the northeastern part of Iowa, and more recently, northern Illinois. Uh, so chaplains came across, uh, companies came across, and then I assumed a, a full-time uh, paid position with marketplace chaplains. So within that entity, um, now marketplace, um, and, and, well, I should say in our division, our, our area, I have the privilege of overseeing about 70 chaplains uh, serving about 120 locations. And then nationwide, we're serving about 1,500 companies from small you know, mom-and-pop shops to large secular companies. In fact, our largest client company has um, just under 30,000 employees that we're privileged to serve. And then we serve client companies in all 50 states with about 2,000 chaplains. And um, all the chaplains, by the way, are paid, and they, they don't have to raise money uh, for their remuneration. So as you can see, yeah, John, I'm very focused and dedicated to serving in sort of the workplace chaplaincy space. Um, I believe we're not only providing a great service, um, but it's a privilege to have a small part in an internal impact in somebody's life on a daily basis. So these are just a few of the pieces that have guided me over the last 40-some years, John, into workplace chaplaincy.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for that background and just the unique path of your equipping from working on a theology of work and marketplace ministry, uh, to be an executive pastor, to studying business. Uh, I can just see how all these pieces really do come together to, to really help you not only serve uh, corporate chaplaincy, but to be an advocate uh, more broadly for the movement. And I know the movement's really grown significantly over the last couple of decades. I think our listeners would be really helped to know what a corporate chaplain does. Um, again, we probably imagine certain things, but, uh, could you walk us through, I don't know, a typical week or month, uh, and maybe it varies from, from place to place, but to the extent that there are some rhythms and patterns of corporate chaplaincy,
0: what do they look like? Yeah, as workplace chaplains, uh, we have found that difficulty in life really is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter where somebody lives. what their last name is or how much money they make the question is when stuff happens in life and it's not a matter of if but when it happened to any of us the key question is do we have resources in place that can provide us provide assistance in times of difficulty so let let me address the question by first talking about our operating values because that informs our practice so Couple of key values that guide our work and guide the practice of workplace chaplaincy. Um, we offer what we call the employee care service. That's sort of the the umbrella term that we that we are known to provide. Um, first, sort of operating value is that it's voluntary and it's permission based. So employees can take advantage of a chaplain service or the employee care service or not. Um, we will not force a relationship on an employee. We wait to be invited in right along with that, uh, is that our conversations have to be confidential. So whatever it is that employees talk to us about as workplace chaplains, it's confidential. Trust, as you can imagine, is very, very key. And that's something that we guard very carefully. Um, You know, a modest per employee per month fee is paid by the company. So it's a free benefit to the employee's Another aspect of it is that it's it's independent of company operations. So why is that important? So clearly we we become part of the fabric of a local community, a local lo- a location or a local company, but the content of what we talk about remains confidential. So we report in general trends, the kinds of conversations we're having with team members or employees, but we don't um, talk about specific individuals, of course. And then our benefit is available to all employees um their family members their households whoever lives with them you know it's covered so yeah the kinds of, of topics that, that we cover and again it's it, whatever the employees want to talk about whatever's on their mind so it's things like you know stress management uh, mental wellness relationship issues so marriage parenting aging parents that kind of thing uh, health matters finances a lot of discussion on addictions wide variety um sometimes we get involved with employees on workplace issues you know somebody values their job but they hate their boss and our job is simply to come alongside them and to help them think through creative positive ways of dealing with that so hopefully does that give you just a, a bit of the the kinds of discussions we have John yeah
1: w- what about the rounds I I, sure. I wonder how it you know the the businesses are really different you have mm-hmm. um service companies to prepare probably i i imagine the, the the variety of industries you serve are really significant manufacturing service maybe um uh you know more you can tell me you know kind of what the industries are but what what do the rounds look like like how do you visit employees um how do you make yourself available what does that look like on a day to day week to week basis
0: yeah good good question john so um, we become part of the fabric of the community. Part of what we do that's very important to us is that our service is very personal in nature. So yes, we have twenty four seven availability. People can reach out to us, um, you know, through, through electronic means. But the the main way we deliver our services is on site in person. And even uh, to to accentuate that even more, some places give us an office where we can have a private conversation but I encourage our chaplains, don't hang out and hide out in an office. Be out where the employees are. So we ask permission for chaplains to be able to wander the floor, wander the plant, the assembly line, uh, whatever it is, the office suites uh, on a regular basis. So typically it's a weekly basis and they may contact with employees. If there's something there uh, that the employee wants to talk to the chaplain about, they can on site or they can set up an appointment or, or talk during a break or, or after hours. So it's, it's very relational. It's, it's based on on-site rounds. Of, as I said, we become part of the fabric of the community. I do encourage chaplains that it, it, it takes time to build that trust and to build those relationships. So it might be six months before you see real traction uh, you know, with, with a, a good share of the people because it's, it's relatively new. But once people see the model and see the, the benefits of it, uh, they become raving fans of the services that we're providing. So we, in terms of what it looks like, you know, we may make suggestions or help uh, employees connect with other resources. Um, so we may, we may make referrals to a specialist, but we won't tell employees what to do. You're more likely to ask questions to help employees think through whatever is going on. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. So it, I mean, would you even be available during a third shift?
0: Oh, absolutely. Okay, we, we try we try and uh, and and serve. Not try. We do serve all the employees, you know, wherever they are. Um, yeah, and one other aspect of this, of course, we're chaplains, so we're we're people of faith. We're hot. We're very happy to talk about issues of faith. But it, it is always at the employees' initiative. So, yeah. what that looks like on our regular basis i estimated about 90 percent of the chaplain care that we provide is something that i call just simply generic human care we show up okay the other 10 percent, approximately tends to focus on matters of faith and these are more typically than not very significant conversations so that gives you sort of a sense of what were the kinds of conversations that we're having in the environment that we're working
1: yeah I know one of the values. I want to move on to the economics of this because I, I know there's yeah. a strong business case. But but before we go there, I'd like to just circle back to to what I believe is one of your values, and that is to, um, as you've just as you've stated, to to respond, but at the invitation or the request of the employee to explore matters of faith. What happens if somebody comes from a different faith tradition? How do you interact with employees
0: um, from other traditions? Yeah, very insightful question, John. So, as trained chaplains, professional chaplains, we serve all employees regardless of faith or no faith. Okay, so that means our task is to serve everybody. We can affirm and we do affirm our faith. So, we are Christian chaplains. Okay, um, if an employee essentially is looking for, I'm going to refer back to that other term that I just used in that phrase, generic human care, we we can respond and we can listen and we can provide help as is appropriate. If it is a matter of faith and they are not of the Christian faith, then our job as chaplains is to find somebody who can help them and obviously in that faith matter and continue to build a relationship with them. Yeah. Um, So it is not to try and uh, talk them out of their faith if it's different than ours. It's very much a listening, serving posture while being authentic to our own faith, tradition, and convictions.
1: It is very helpful. So this is not a—corporate chaplaincy is not about evangelism or conversion. It's about generic care and responding when invited— pastoral care that is rooted in the Christian faith tradition, which you you clearly come out of. But, but if someone is not of that tradition, finding um, a clergy person or person of faith leadership that can assist them in their particular faith and tradition needs. Is that a, is that a good mistake? Absolutely. You got okay. it. Yeah. Well, what about the business case for corporate chaplaincy? Um, you know, I know the industry has grown significantly and, and maybe you could speak to that, but when you're out trying to to market your services, um, what do you communicate? Why does it make sense for a business to consider corporate
0: chaplaincy as a really viable option to care for employees? Yeah, a number of responses, John, to that that question. And um, I'm just going to sort of tick off a few. These are things that uh, some of our client company leaders have said to us this is why i believe in what you're doing and this is why i'm paying money in some cases actually the owners are paying for this service out of their own pocket in other cases it's paid for by you know through the operations of the company but it's things like this so um, an employee care service will allow leaders to lead the company while simultaneously demonstrating appropriate and tangible employee care so Let's face it, as a company grows, the leader cannot be, remain in a personal, deep relationship with all the employees. And in many cases, that may not be appropriate um, to, to, to blur that line between a company leader who has to make those business decisions and lead the employees. It doesn't mean that that leader does not care. Uh, they can pr- continue to provide care, such as providing chaplains, but it allows leaders to lead while simultaneously Implementing a high value of care for, for, for employees. Right along with that, an employee care service demonstrates that all employees are valued. Um, morale, we are told and we have seen, will improve as a result of implementing uh, this service. In fact, um, I, on Monday of this week, just a couple days ago, I was in eight o'clock in the morning, freezing cold. I think it was minus ten actual degrees. yeah I was in Sussex, uh, w- uh, Wisconsin, which is just above. Waukesha. and uh, we were launching our services at Monday morning team meeting uh, this is so unusual I mean you get the picture it's Monday morning it's freezing cold outside you know many people would prefer not to be at work but the morale was because they care about their company culture and the morale of their team members was already high and to that they are now adding uh, two very good chaplains so it's it's those kinds of companies where leaders recognize the importance of morale. And having a chaplain service is one of those things. Um, Here's another set of very important uh, reasons why leaders bring us in. An employee care service establishes a resource before a crisis occurs, not after. We'll show up and do crisis care. Yes, there's an accident or an incident or something. We'll show up and we'll do that. But we we would much rather have this service in place before a crisis occurs. Uh, Related to this, our service is proactive rather than reactive, and it's personal. So, those things are extremely important. Um, There was one leader that said, um, uh, this was um, a company with about 500 employees in the Southeast. It's kind of like a a Jiffy Lube, a quick lube place. And he described it as an EAP, or Employee Assistance Program on steroids. Uh, And what he meant by that was, the, the employee assistance program, which is t- tends to not be proactive, tends not to be personal, it's just the 800 number of the website, um, he, he said it's so much more effective. In fact, his company stats showed that uh, upwards of, once they implemented the employee care service, upwards of 60% of the employees took advantage of the employee care service as opposed to a good EAP, which is four to six. And again, the difference... Can be traced directly back to being proactive and personal.
1: So, um, for, and, an EAP yeah, program, would be four to six percent would would access it. Is that um,
0: for an EAP, an employee assistance program, would be four to six, and that's very good response rate.
1: And that's percent of the employees, four to six percent. Right, four to six yeah. percent
0: yeah. of the employees in the given year right. for an employee care service that we provide with chaplains that jumps to north of sixty percent. And, and again, it's I mean it's a significant difference. Again, because it's proactive and personal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the downstream costs, I can imagine. You know. Yeah. The downstream costs would involve things like health insurance, mm-hmm. absenteeism, turnover, um, medical insurance, those kinds. I'm assuming that a good an employee care program, corporate chaplaincy, really helps to not. Completely eliminate, but to to soften some of those really heavy downstream costs that might be in place if you didn't have that program in place. Is that
0: is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. All those things you mentioned, uh, we have been told from company leaders have been reduced: so company turnover, reduced healthcare costs, um, increased performance, and ultimately improved bottom line, because you are you are helping to stabilize the employee base. So right. that company that I mentioned that was in the, the fast lube deal, they had it before implementing the chaplain benefit. They had a almost 100 percent turnover in their workforce every year. OK, and which is a concern, obviously, to the owner. And they had high shrinkage. And first, when I heard this story, what's it to steal from a, a quick lube, fast lube place? Well, it's free oil changes for family and friends is what it is. Both of those numbers came down drastically, came down the turnover and the shrinkage. And the owner himself says the leading cause for those things to improve, those indicators, was because we started having chapels on site. Isn't that interesting?
1: Yes. You know, if if I'm an owner, like how expensive is it? Like, uh, you know, again, you, you don't have to give me an exact price tag, but if somebody, you know, had a is it price? Do you sort of price this out per employee? Do you how, how does they actually how do you actually price your services? Um, yeah, how does it work?
0: Yeah, yeah. Good good question. Again, we are paid for the services that we provide, so this is not a volunteer. There's there's some ch- other chaplaincy uh, initiatives that are volunteer based. This is not. Uh, right. We feel that that it's appropriate to ask for remuneration for our services. Yes, it's a typically a per month per employee okay. fee. And it's ridiculously modest. Yeah, um, I'll say that, John. If yep. if, uh, if somebody goes to you know uh, their favorite coffee shop and orders a fancy fufu drink, um, you know, and maybe a modest scone or something, you've covered it per oh. employee per month. So it's it's and, and if you consider, I uh, mean, this is just my personal conviction. I think a strong case could be made for, for asking considerably more. But here's why we are not only dealing with a company's number one resource their people but in many cases their very well-being yes okay what could be more valuable than that right um, so yeah so uh, th- that's just the reality it's 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 very reasonable um, and we've got you know business development uh, folks that are, that are happy to have you know those conversations
1: that's with. amazing so it, yeah. it it yeah it's really helpful i'm you know, everybody can sort of add up a uh, specialty coffee, coffee and a scone, right? And um, and, right. and and put a price tag to that, and and, right. and then think about the value of your employees and really caring for them, uh, in, yeah, in absolutely all of their needs. How do you find your chaplains? Um, you, I think you noted that, how many chaplains do you supervise across the region? So about
0: 70, 70 right. and um, a lot of it is is referrals. Um, we look for people with transferable skills, so uh, chaplains from other areas, so military, hospital, hospice, uh, social workers, pastors. We do quite a bit of, of internal training initially and then ongoing continuing education. Uh, you cannot assume, for example, that a local pastor will make a good chaplain because they have to retool. You know, when, when they're in their church and somebody comes to them it's expected that they will be very open to talk about their beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. Chaplaincy, particularly workplace chaplaincy, we are guests, and so we need to behave like that. It's not a platform for anything for us to say anything we want to. We're there to listen and to ask questions and to be helpful. So some people in other areas, disciplines, you know, that's a bit of a, bit of a change in paradigm, changing their thinking.
1: Do, do staff need to have formal theological training?
0: Um, um, that certainly helps it's not a requirement and again we 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 factor in a number of different things including formal education but we also look for people that have had real world so to speak marketplace experience so they they know what that world is like and they can right. they can function well in that environment right so we've talked
1: about the benefits and they they seem countless um I'm gonna ask you to, Put on your critical thinking hat and and to spell out the downsides. What is the negative case uh, if if you can make one for corporate
0: chaplaincy? And actually, it relates to just what we talked about when there isn't sufficient training or understanding, like the difference between being a pastor and being a chaplain. Then we can sometimes get into some potentially troubled waters. So, for example, if um, a chaplain breaks the trust of an employee or potentially breaks confidentiality, that can spell trouble very quickly. I mean, I've had, uh, you know, situations happen, it doesn't happen often, thankfully, but every once in a while, a chaplain will do or say something that gets the attention of somebody up the the organizational um, chart, and they will call and say, what's, what's going on, okay? And it invariably comes back to, uh, there wasn't sufficient training or sufficient understanding of that chaplain's role. So uh, not uh, upholding trust, not breaking that, maintaining confidentiality is is extremely important. Very closely related to that is this idea of of permission. For example, we serve um, some pretty large, um, what could be described as secular companies. Um, In some cases, we're known as care partners in those companies as opposed to chaplain. That was determined by the company leadership to be more acceptable than the term chaplain. We leave it up to client company leadership to make that that choice but every once in a while a chaplain will not adhere to that permission principle like they should now we're 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 talking fine-tuning in the you know the the rare exception but um chaplains are humans and you know human too and uh sometimes they they forget their training and if, if they don't adhere to that permission principle sometimes um you know we'll hear about that so again it's it's In any community, typically there will be a few people that they're not sure about this chaplain thing, or maybe they've had church hurt in their background, or whatever the case might be. And whatever they think of us or the chaplain benefit, um, it isn't positive. And we give them wide space. We don't force a company, we respect them, we honor them, we'll greet them, but we won't initiate conversation with them. And, you know, in most of those cases, Once the chaplain has been around for a while, and it might be a year, you know, six months, nine months, a year, um, something happens in the employee's life and they open up and they have a a wonderful relationship with the chaplain. So, um, yeah, there there are a few people that... Steve, I meant to
1: to explore some of the industries because I imagine, you know, the workplace is so varied. There's manufacturing, financial services, hospitality. I mean, just think about all the industries and kinds of businesses that are out there. Can you give a sense of the range of the kinds of businesses that you serve? Is there kind of an ideal client? Maybe there is isn't. Maybe everybody's a potential client? Yeah, so real? realization that you could serve. And then how do the services vary? So mm-hmm. if you're working with uh, on a you know on a, on a manufacturing plant floor, uh how would the chaplaincy work look different than if you're working in for example,
0: um a retail establishment? Sure, sure, or maybe the executive suite. Or the executive suite, yeah. yeah. As I think about this, I think I would respond by saying that um, our services, the chaplain services, is probably dictated more by economic issues, so economic status, rather than industry type. So, for example, those in lower economic status or, or wage, salary range, tend to not have as many resources available to them than those in higher income brackets. Um, so for example, let's just say an employee is having a difficult, you know, marriage situation and the chaplain uh meets with them and determines that they could really benefit by say good marriage counseling. Well, that could take maybe six, seven visits, maybe a hundred bucks a visit. You know, that's six or seven hundred dollars, somebody in a you know more modest income bracket. They they may they probably can't swing that. Um so we, we do see those in lower economic situations take advantage of our services more often, simply because we're available and it's it's paid for and we're happy to do that. Um, however, it does not mean that higher income people don't have as many issues. They absolutely do. And uh, they may be more covered and more masked, okay? But they are there and they are just as significant. It, it potentially is just not out there. It's a little bit more more hidden. How we provide the chaplain service may differ uh, so, if it's an environment where uh, we can interact with employees um, and not disturb their workflow, or certainly not create a, a safety issue, then that's that, that's awesome. Uh, obviously, many workplaces are like that when uh, employees can see the Chapman walking around and just give a you know a wave of the hand or a nod. Uh, chap uh, an employee might say to the chaplain you know could you stop back during the break there's something i want to talk with you about and the chaplain's happy to do that um, as you go up you know higher up in the organization it'll probably be more appointment based uh just just for a number of reasons as opposed to um, you know walking around uh, and there tends to be more a, a greater desire to keep the, the conversations with the chaplain more confidential not just in terms of content but in terms of meeting with the, the chaplains, um, regardless of, of where the employee serves in the company, we we say if you don't want to visit with the chaplain on site, that's fine. If you've got something you want to talk about, uh, we'll be happy to meet you off site. So it could be their home, could be over coffee, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting you asked about industries. So there is one industry that has had an outsized role in shaping the entire. Um, Workplace chaplaincy industry, corporate chaplaincy, and that's actually the poultry industry. Yeah, our largest company that I referred to, with about thirty thousand employees um, under Marketplace, that's in the poultry industry. Largest company under Capital Chaplains by far was in the poultry industry. Um, Tyson Foods, you know, the giant in the poultry industry, with one hundred and ten thousand team members. John Tyson, about twenty-five years ago, started an in-house chaplaincy benefit. Now. Just as a sidebar, I think a strong case could be made. It's better to outsource that than to do it in-house, but um, they decided to do it in-house, and uh, last I heard, they had 120-some chaplains on the payroll. Wow. Well, I think that's an indication. They serve everybody throughout the the organization, but that gives you um, an idea of one industry where there are lots of people, um, yeah, a lot of people in the lower-income categories that really appreciate all the help that they can get.
1: So I'm assuming that is the the, the poultry, mostly
0: Tyson is the model for that? Tyson with their... Uh, well, they're or? not, yeah, they're not the only one. They're, they're the only poultry company that I know. There could be others that have in-house chaplains. Everybody else is contracted with um, companies like Marketplace Chaplains. Or yeah, but is the
1: there, y- you mentioned the poultry industry being a, a heavy user of corporate chaplaincy. Is there... Are there other reasons for why that's the case? Is there some some inherent risk or some reason that corporate chaplaincy has really taken root in that industry, or by extension, does it come from some of these leading organizations like Tyson that started these programs a long time ago, and others started to pay attention and uh, and followed suit?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting to follow the the trends. I think that um, it it comes back to the, the business. Um, reasons for doing it: that if if they can reduce turnover, uh, this is true for any industry, but uh, particularly the poultry industry. If they can reduce turnover, right. if they can stabilize the um, the employee base, one one concept we didn't talk about, John, that I think is important, I'll mention it now, isn't just absenteeism, but it's this this idea of presenteism. presenteeism, presenteeism. presenteeism. That's when somebody, and I think we're probably all guilty of this if we're honest, uh, we show up to work physically, but mentally and emotionally, we're someplace else dealing with something. Okay. So that's a big issue. That's where chaplains can really come in and help that employee deal with whatever it is that's causing them to to be away emotionally and then get back to their work, be able to focus on their work. So. I think, I think for all those reasons, I think many, um, uh, coming back to your question, many of the owners and senior leaders within the poultry industry happen to be people of strong faith, and it's out of that commitment to doing everything they can to help um, their employees, their team members. That's part of their conviction in their decision-making. Okay. Does that make sense?
1: It's helpful. Yeah, it's really helpful. I want to turn to this idea of neighborliness. Um, mm-hmm. And you started to hint at this, that corporate chaplaincy is a way to... to to act justly in the world. Uh, And the way I think you communicated this is that corporate chaplaincy often provides or fills in with services that might not be available to employees that are, that have lower economic means. And it offers these things that might be, you know, more readily available to those with more financial. As you've thought about this idea of neighborliness, particularly Jesus's command to, to love our neighbor. How does corporate chaplaincy achieve that
0: end? Oh, very good question, John. And we could spend a lot of time on this, but, but trying to narrow it down. Um, so as we think about you know, the story of the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, um, the idea of neighborly neighborliness, just as you set it up, I am reminded, actually, of a formative story. It's a very Good Samaritan-like story that helped launch the entire field of workplace chaplaincy. So um, let me just give you a thumbnail of it. And if if listeners want to dig into it more, the word chaplain actually originated from a literal Good Samaritan story that occurred about 337 AD. A, A young man of about 20 years of age by the name of Martin of Tours and who was a serious follower of Jesus, okay? History tells us he was forced to serve in the Roman army because his dad was also served in the army. And in that uh, setup, sons automatically had to serve, okay? So he wanted to go into sort of vocational ministry, church-based work, but he had to serve in the army, okay? While in um, Amiens, France, Martin noticed, as this true story goes, a poor man at the city gate without much clothing to wear and it was bitterly cold just like what we're experiencing probably so very cold um he he was a beggar he did not have warm clothes to wear martin drew his sword and cut his military cloak the story goes in half and gave half to the shivering beggar this cut off part of martin's cape became then a sacred church really I and mean, we right. used in ceremonies they used it um when you know well, the Roman army went into battle okay from this application of martin's cape we derive the word capella or chapel or chaplain hmm. and so um you know i i think about this this literal you know neighbor what what can we learn from this being a good neighbor story uh, this good samaritan story well Um, You know, as there's much more to the story, John, we can't take time now to to go into it, but um, St. Martin of Tours, uh, not a modern day um, good neighbor, but certainly somebody who is an example for us. So back to your question, John, about how Chaplaincy relates to neighborliness. Uh, Just like St. Martin of Tours was a good Samaritan in the fourth century, Okay. So we as chaplains are called to model neighborliness to those with whom we come into contact. And I would add, I believe all followers of Jesus, not just professional chaplains, are called to the same kind of Good Samaritan type of action. Um, you know, I believe that the workplace is an ideal venue for us as modest, modern Christ followers to be neighborly or to be Good Samaritans. I mean, think about it. Opportunities abound to provide help and hope to fellow employees. Um, and John, as we track sort of the the, the marketplace movement um, and what that means, we've come to understand right that that the marketplace, the workplace, is where most people spend the majority of their time. Um, you know, it used to be perhaps neighborhoods or houses or things or even families, not so much nowadays. It's the workplace, and so. Maybe I mean, it's in this sphere that we as modern followers of Jesus can be salt and light. So, I, John, I think you're you're really onto something to to, to press into this idea of, of how can we be neighborly in it, the Good Samaritan um, understanding of that word. And again, it's not just for professional types. It's for, for all of us yeah. to follow. I mean, I mean, if
1: you sort of divide your day in thirds, you know, let's say you sleep eight hours. Mm-hmm. you're at home 8 hours and you work 8 hours right um where mm-hmm. you mean you know, at least a, th- a third of your life yeah uh, generally is spent in the workplace for those who have an opportunity to work or choose to work outside of the home and um and it's just significant hours right just that we spend with yeah. with colleagues um and in, by extension we can think about um our work and our broader civic and, and communities as well. So the the potential to to be neighborly in these contexts is just extraordinary. is 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 really immense. Steve, I wonder if you could walk us in walk us through a couple of stories about sure. the just the power of, of of chaplaincy. Like maybe just some some transformational stories you've seen in the lives of others. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know what those stories are, but I imagine you get a window into some really amazing healing, um, people who might not otherwise step into a church, but really benefit from care and even spiritual care. Um, what, what might you share with us today that, that illustrates, you know, the, the potential of corporate
0: chaplaincy? Sure. And John, it's interesting that you use that term transformation because, at the very highest level, that's what we are about as chaplains. Yes, it's about providing assistance with whatever the the issue is at hand, and we do that a lot. Um, it's providing hope, and particularly nowadays, I mean, we've seen, especially since the pandemic, a significant increase in suicide attempts and, unfortunately, suicides that have been completed. I mean. We used to see that maybe once every number of years. Now we're seeing it multiple times a year, um, you know, throughout various industries. And so it's huge that idea, of being able to come alongside employees and provide a word of hope and and hold their hope for them if the employee is not able to, if they are that helpless. Okay. So just a, a couple stories. In fact, um, here are six or seven things that I think we all can think about. Um, and I want to encourage us all to, to think about and maybe incorporate uh, not just chaplain types, but, but anybody that wants to be a good neighbor, be a good Samaritan, particularly in the workplace setting. Um, as Christ followers, we, we know that we are called to be in prayer, and so we cannot enter the workplace without that attitude of prayer. We simply need to be available. Um, part of this is just being willing to be available. You know, third area is do some life together. Uh, just just hang out, get to know each other. Uh, another one is be patient and be faithful. It takes time, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even longer. Uh, we talked about permission, okay? And again, this is something that we all can, can um, incorporate into how we relate to others. Wait to be invited in, okay? Don't be pushy, wait to be invited in. And then as spiritual people, we understand the importance of relying on the Holy Spirit and then just watch God at work. We just have to be faithful, but it's God's job to change people, to transform lives, and to transform organizations. Okay, so what does this look like? In a couple stories, John. There's a company in town. In fact, um, this is this is really historic. This was the first company in South Central Wisconsin to initiate workplace chaplains, and it's uh, it's none other than Pelletary Waste System, the company that hauls our trash. Okay up. Uh, I've been given permission to share this story both by family members and by by the company. That both those stories. Th- this was a, a number of years ago. And uh, the best time that I discovered to serve this company, to be on site, was between 5.30 in the morning and about 9 or 9.30 on a Tuesday. So I could pretty much touch bases at the time. They had about 80 employees. I could touch bases with pretty much everybody uh, in that, that time period. So I remember there was this, This one particular gentleman, um, I'll call him Tom, and um, he was a pretty rough character. When I say that um, Tom grew up in the steel mill community in uh, Gary, Indiana, and he was an abusive man, whatever comes to your mind, Tom was guilty of, okay? And I'm I'm, I'm serious about that. Um, He sort of looked like, remember Popeye? The, the, the cartoon character, Popeye, he kind of came across like that. Okay. Gruff kind of looked, looked like Popeye. Okay. So whatever he thought of me or the chaplain benefit was not positive. Okay. I could tell that. So 530 in the morning, I would greet him as cheerily as I could. I'd say, good morning, Tom. And I'd get a grunt back as he brushed by. Okay. So clearly he had not invited me in. Um, about six months into, so this went on for about six months. Um, he ended up in the hospital. He, He abused his body, and I called him up. I said, Tom, sorry to hear you're in the hospital. Would you like me to stop by and visit with you? Yeah, that'd be all right. So I stopped by, and honestly, John, this has got to be about the most superficial chaplaincy visit to a hospital person in the hospital on record. Um, The most significant we talked about was the hospital food, and that was it, okay? Didn't offer to pray with him, none of that, Um, because again, he hadn't invited me in to do that. So um, next week is the company picnic because, you know, he has some health issues. I know he's taking retirement. So I take that opportunity to saddle up next in on the picnic bench and over, you know, burgers and chips. Um, I hear his life story. Okay. And he kind of opens up and we make that connection. He takes retirement. Okay. So back to the principles, remember, we're doing some life together. We're being patient, being available, waiting to be invited in. Okay. So a year later, he's in retirement. A year later, his second wife calls me and says, um, "You know t- just want you to know Tom's not expected to live more than a couple weeks." And I said, "Sir, to hear that, would you like me to stop by uh, and just pay a visit?" And they live in a, a, a double wide trailer. And she said, that would be that would be wonderful. Could I bring the HR director?" And uh, no, that would be fine. So he, he reluctantly he'd never done anything like this before. He joins me. And um, remember, in family like this, there's a lot of conflict, a lot of disruption, a lot of dysfunction. It's very unusual to have the first family and the first spouse present along with the second family and the second spouse in the same space. So we, we talk uh, for a little bit and um, Tom says to me, now again, this is, this is a man who has never, ever, ever darkened the doorway of a church in his life, okay? He says almost right away to me, um, you know, skip the small talk and how he's doing and all that. He says, Chaplain, he said, this is Tom speaking. He said, I want you to know that um, I believe God, the God of heaven, has spoken to me and that he has forgiven me of all the wrongs that I have done to people. Now, I knew Tom was up to something because he had been calling his former employees and co workers. Back at the shop. And I kind of got word that he was sort of saying sorry for them. This is this rough guy, you know, Vietnam vet, a- a- apologizing and asking essentially asking his former employees, uh, colleagues to-, to forgive him for the way he treated him. He said, Look, I really like you. And, and you know, uh, I-, I just want to call him and-, and say that. So I knew he'd been up to something. He says to me, I believe God has forgiven me for all the, the ways I've messed up in my life. And However many weeks or days he gives me, my job is to reconcile with those people. So is is was Tom going through a, a deathbed conversion? Without a doubt. There's no doubt in my mind that he was going through a deathbed conversion. So at the end of that conversation, um, I do offer, because it's very appropriate um, to, to have a word of prayer. He says, absolutely. We all join hands. We pray. Again, this is new territory for the HR guy. So we, we say our farewells. Two weeks later. oh. At the end of that prayer time, remember, this is the guy that had did not have the time of day for me for six months, okay? After that prayer, he says to his, his current wife, um, if you've not already picked out somebody to officiate at my funeral, um, I would like Chaplain Steve to do that. And then hear these words, John. His next words were, because he knows my heart. Okay? I mean, that is that is the sweet spot for workplace chaplains. Okay. To be able to hear those words from somebody like Tom. Okay. Um, fast forward two weeks. Um, he passes, we have a, um, memorial service in a funeral home, um, military honors cause he's you know, Vietnam vet. And, um, I was able to talk with his family about the importance of being reconciled. And that's what Tom was doing. That is his legacy to all of you. So, you know, I look at that and I go that's that's why we do what we do. That's why we show up for six months at 5 30 in the morning, you know and and we try and have conversations and in some cases people keep us at bay. So um, w- one other quick story, John, and then um, I know we need to we need to wrap it up. It was privileged to serve actually the same couple. Um, one, the, their wife, I'll call her Kelly, worked at one company and um josh call him josh he worked at another company that i happened to serve both companies and um, for about the first year uh i hear the same thing from both of them they were both unhappy about their marriage they carved on the other one um you know josh would say you know kelly just wants to spend her time down on state street which you know, as you know is full of bars and she's a married woman with two young kids and she swore nothing bad was happening etc and and you know Kelly would have the same kind of things to say about her husband, Jay. So the pain level was not high enough to do anything about it uh, that went on. Then one day, everything changed. And um, remember the the principle, you know, be be patient and be faithful. Wait to be invited in, okay? So Kelly had a customer service job. And I should tell you, by the way, the company that she worked for um, is owned by Christians. It has Christian values in its purpose statement, okay? that in an ideal world, everybody lives up to. Well, there was one team that Kelly happened to be a part of that was not living up to the company values. The the level of swearing was off the charts. Interestingly enough, the treatment of women and the telling of off-color jokes was significant in this team. Okay, And again, the company has Christian values about conduct. And uh, the worst offender was the one woman on this team, Kelly. So one day, about a year in, she says, so chaplain, do you think that somebody could find a personal guru? Whoa, the conversation has just gone very significant. I know that she's not asking, you know, in the true Hindu guru uh, thinking. She's asking, is there such a thing as a spiritual guide for me? So we get permission to, to have the conversation offline. Um uh, you know, quickly determined that she's asking some very deep spiritual questions. So I said, Kelly, I'm going to describe three people, and I want you to tell me who you would like to meet with. For a variety of reasons, it's not going to be me, okay? It needs to be a a more mature woman. And so I I describe a counselor, I describe a spiritual director, and then I describe somebody whose first name is Edna. The only way you describe her is that she does spiritual warfare. OK, she does almost like Old Testament prophet kinds of work. OK, Kelly says, without a doubt, I would like to see Edna. So I call Edna up. I say, would you be willing? She thinks about it, prays about it, comes back and says, OK, I will meet with Kelly. Kelly has no idea what she's in for because she is going to have an encounter with the living God. So they start meeting weekly, Kelly and her her mentor, her spiritual guru, if you will, and um. They, they meet together for two or three hours a week and Edna has her reading scripture. the transformation is almost immediate. okay She then becomes a follower of Jesus, turns her life over to Christ. and six weeks in, um, by the way, with the, the conversation with the with the HR manager about this team I said I said to the HR manager, um, do you see this inconsistency in this team? The treatment of women and the level of swearing is being inconsistent with the company values. And he said, actually, no, I don't. A couple of weeks later, he said, yes, I do. I see it. We did some brainstorming together, the two of us, the chaplain and the HR guy. What could we do about this? And this is so lame, John. The best thing that we came up with was like a swearing jar. If somebody let one rip, they'd put a quarter in a jar and the end of the week, we'd order pizza. I said, come on, that is so lame. So we didn't come up with a solution. Okay, and I, again, I think God had other things in mind. So along comes Kelly. She has this this um, raises this great question. Starts meeting with Edna. Um, six weeks later, um, Kelly says to me, "You know, my eyes have really been opened." She said, and "We had not talked about this at all." She said, "My eyes have really been opened." She said, "The level of swearing within this team is completely unacceptable, and the level of." Of the The way people are treating women is not good. It's degrading. That has to stop. And she says, "I believe it's my task from from God to help turn this around." So, you know, back to your question, John, transformation. Here you go. Know, two stories where lives are transformed. The second story was Kelly, and by the way, her mar- marriage uh, w- uh, in- improved as well. Here we have an, an example where there's a dramatic transformation of an individual or individuals and a whole team. And that's the area where we as workplace chaplains have just an incredible privilege to play a small part.
1: Steve, thank you so much. This has been a really enlightening conversation. We will put um, contact information for you in the show notes. Um, And just thank you for the amazing work you're doing through corporate chaplaincy in the workplace.
0: Well, John, thank you. For having me, and um, it's been a joy and, and a privilege. Well, I'm I'm grateful for you.